Welcome to the future of eye care. I have the pleasure of sitting down with Wally Lovejoy, who is an attorney and also an industry consultant to uh, eye care companies across the country. Thanks for joining the show, Wally. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bob. Nice, very nice to talk to you. So, you know, supercharged topic here regarding teleoptometry regulations. You know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions on the matter, and it's it's a really very confusing subject matter. But I, you know. We would love for you to kind of d- dive into this. And I think first, just given the nature of the conversation, I, I know you kind of wanted to offer some uh, d- disclosures here. Sure. Let me give you a little bit about my background and my current consulting business. Um, I have been in the industry since 1983 when I started working with Pearl as an attorney. I spent 25 years with LensCrafters, Luxottica Retail. Um, in senior executive roles, both in the legal department and in operating optometric offices and dealing with regulatory issues. Um, uh, For the last 10 years, I've had my own consulting firm, and I have been fortunate enough to have done consulting with a number of industry members, uh, including optical retailers, and also a number of telemedicine companies or organizations that provide telemedicine services. So while I'm not going to give you a laundry list of my clients, one of them that I should disclose is that I have done and am doing work for 2020 now. Um, But I also have done work for other telemedicine companies and a number of optical retailers that use telemedicine. That's great. That's great. And in terms of, uh, you know, I know we're going to talk about some legalities here. Uh, So, you know, you want to kind of give, give the blanket disclosure? Well, yeah, I think it's probably just a warning to folks that while I'm going to discuss issues that they ought to think about with their own attorney, this is not an attempt for me or you to offer legal advice to people. These are really more questions that people should be thinking about when they talk to their own attorney. And I think the other caution I would give is that state laws do vary significantly. So um, I'm going to be talking about some ideas that people ought to look into, but the answer might vary in different states as to how they could set up a telemedicine business to provide eye exams to their optical retail patients. Absolutely. You know, t- taking a dive into this, I can see that the laws uh, are varied by state to state and also changing with, with a great deal of frequency or, or slated to change. So, you know, um, definitely appreciate your background and your expertise on the subject matter. What do you think are some key elements that an optical retailer should really first consider? So we'll kind of start at a high level and then we'll kind of dive down and get into some very specific elements here. Sure. Uh, I, um, in my experience, realized that getting an eye exam available to patients who want to buy eyeglasses so that they can have a prescription to buy eyeglasses is a key element of a successful optical retailer. And yet, for a variety of reasons, the optical retailer might be open at times when there is not an optometrist available to be on the premises. That might be because they have extended hours and weekends and evenings. It might be because it's a relatively low volume optical retailer that doesn't have enough business to keep an optometrist there uh, during the hours that they're open. So telemedicine or teleoptometry turns out to be a good solution where one optometrist or one ophthalmologist can provide coverage for multiple locations through the use of telemedicine or teleoptometry. And there are a number of companies out there offering a variety of different ways that uh, optical retailers can provide access to prescriptions for corrective eyewear uh, through um, telehealth. And I'm going to use telehealth broadly to include whether it's done by an ophthalmologist 
um, an optometrist working for an ophthalmologist or an optometrist directly. So let's just talk about telehealth for both eye exams and prescription for corrective eyewear. When an optical retailer is shopping to find the right match to somebody who can provide those telemedicine services at their location, I have a few key issues that I'd like to suggest they look into. Um, first, they should be aware that the standard of care that has to be offered by the practitioner will have to match the community standard of care. Telemedicine, telehealth does not allow you to do less than what a doctor would do if they were seeing the patient in person. Um, so you need to make sure that you trust the quality that's being provided by your uh, practitioner. Um, the other thing is that many states have restrictions on how the doctor and the patient create a relationship. Typically, it's pretty straightforward, but there may be specific requirements for an in-person exam in a few states. And uh, I think that it will be important that the patient can be identified to the practitioner and vice versa. The patient needs to know who the practitioner is. There may be issues about when that happens. That may be soon enough for them to simply get the prescription and see the name of the doctor who prescribed the eyewear. Um, there are other things about record keeping. Um, the optical retailer may be called upon to help create the records and to make sure they're properly uploaded into an electronic health record system. Uh, there are issues that the practitioner may have to uh, consider about how and when to provide for follow-up care. There are privacy and security issues. Those records have to be kept um, in compliance with HIPAA and maybe other state privacy laws. And you certainly have to be concerned about hacking from uh, financial and personal information security. Um, and then finally, there are issues around state-by-state -state differences in the regulation of optometrists versus ophthalmologists or optometrists who work for ophthalmologists. So that's a place to start. I'll pause there to see if that raises any questions in your mind, and then we can jump to some other specific issues to think about. Sure, lots of questions, of course. And, you know, really, you, you already touched on kind of what, what are some of the key differences about the corporate practice of optometry, corporate practice of medicine, and then, you know, kind of, and whether or not you want to take this in or out of order, which would be, you know, the kind of the misconceptions around one door and two door, where some people kind of think that's the, the, um, the starting point for kind of, you know, which direction to, to take your decision tree. But really, it comes back to the corporate practice of optometry and medicine and better understanding that when you're talking about um, remote providers, teleoptometry, telemedicine versus hiring an on-site doctor. So kind of a lot of, to unpack there and kind of take that in whatever order you, you would prefer. All right. Well, let me start with just a quick overview of what we mean when we talk about uh, prohibitions on the corporate practice of medicine or prohibitions on the corporate practice of optometry. Um, for years, um, both legislators and courts interpreting the common law have said that because professional licensure is to an individual person, a corporation can't practice that profession in most states. Uh, it means that a lay corporation, when I say lay corporation, I mean something other than a professional corporation, um, which you may be familiar with that term, but a, a business that is not an individual who's licensed to practice optometry or medicine in most states cannot hire a physician or an optometrist to work for them and simply pay them a salary and collect the revenues for them. However, as that 
uh, doctrine has evolved over time, um, there has been a distinction between hiring somebody to provide professional services and having a contract with them so that they are an independent professional making their own professional judgment, but getting management and administrative support from a corporation or a company. So even when there are prohibitions against the corporate practice of optometry or the corporate practice of medicine, this concept of having a management service organization working to provide services that are not considered professional services, like doing accounting or legal work or advertising or payroll, those things are permitted. In fact, you're probably familiar with some of the companies that are using that model to grow. Uh, organizations like My Eye Doctor or Eye Care Partners or AEG or Kepler, those are all examples of organizations that are working together with optometrists to acquire the assets of an optometric practice and to then help manage and run them. But the licensed professional is in charge of the professional decision-making, the, the criteria for um, what decisions require a license. Um, so that means that if people want to use telemedicine, in most states, there is a way to contract with a professional corporation either owned by an ophthalmologist or owned by an optometrist or a group of doctors that will provide those services. Um, the optical retailer has to be careful not to interfere with the professional decisions. Those can be defined pretty broadly by state law. Um, so you have to look precisely at the state law, but perhaps surprisingly, those restrictions are much tighter on optometrists than they are on ophthalmologists. So there is a distinction between um, prohibitions against the corporate practice of optometry and prohibitions against the corporate practice of medicine. Um, and it turns out that things like the two-door requirement, um, which I use as shorthand and I think the industry has used for a regulation that requires an optical retailer to have physical separation of their store from a sublease or licensee optometrist who might be practicing next door to the optical retailer. So there are perhaps as many as 20 states that have some sort of definitional requirement for that physical separation. But that applies typically only to optometrists and not to ophthalmologists. So it is a good idea to understand if there are physical separation requirements in your state if you are contracting with optometrists, if you are trying to have telemedicine inside your optical store, it may be easier to do with a group um, that is owned and operated by an ophthalmologist if you're in a, a state that does require that separation. So that's the one door versus two door. The corporate practice of optometry or medicine is a separate issue um, it means that in some states, um, unless there is a specific um, ruling or statute that allows it, most optical retailers cannot employ an optometrist. Um, they can't hire them to be on the payroll and work for them. But there are about a dozen or 14 states that do allow optical retailers to employ optometrists directly. And so some of the optical retailers may do so. And some of them are pretty good sized states like New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois. Those are three of, uh, of the states that would allow such direct employment. And in that case, it's okay to hire an optometry group to 
provide teleoptometry and to have them as your employees. Um, so the distinction would be, do you want an independent contractor for other reasons? You don't have to employ, but you can if you want to. That helpful? Yeah, I think it's an area where there's just a lot of confusion and misunderstanding. There's approximately 30 some odd states that are considered one door versus the remainder balance two door. And a lot of people have confused being a one door with corporate practice of optometry. And in fact, what we're seeing then is um, there's only, like you said, around a dozen or so states where optical retailers are used to being able to hire or employ an, an optometrist and then bill for those exams themselves and keeping keeping the differential. And under the corporate practice of medicine with an ophthalmology PC, that really wouldn't apply. And therefore, optical retailers, even in historically two-door states or states that are one-door but not corporate practice of optometry, would still be able to contract with those companies to provide services, be able to bill for those exams. And this brings up kind of the real, another uh, really touchy topic, which would be to get specific on, in which states can optical retailers charge a difference between the fees that they're contracting with the provider and the exam fee they're gonna charge the patient and how much can they increase that fee to cover their administrative costs versus being perceived as practicing medicine, perhaps without a, a license to do so. Can you dive into that topic a little bit? Because I think that's something that's really uh, misunderstood as well. Um, I, I think I can. I think that I can't give you a list of specifically which states would allow um, an op optical retailer to uh, include the price of the eye exam in the bill that they give to the consumer. It would not have to be bundled. It could be, here's the price for your eyeglasses, here's the price for your eye exam, or it could be a, a bundled for one price, you get both an eye exam and you get eyewear. Um, the key issue there is whether the uh, optical retailer is making an inappropriate fee splitting or profit sharing on that service. But there's also a law that says that you must charge fair market value for your services. So if you're in a state that allows a management service organization to provide services to an optometrist or a physician, you simply have to make sure that you are charging a fee that includes all of your costs and that it reflects the fair market value of those costs. But typically an optical retailer that invites somebody in to do telemedicine or an in-person sublease doctor they're gonna charge them sublease rent. They're gonna charge them um, a lease fee for the use of any equipment that the optical retailer might buy. If they provide staff or share staff, there's probably a fee for the staffing. And that staff could provide administrative services or even support services for tech technical work to help work up the patient uh, on behalf of the doctor. All of those things are okay to provide in many states, and okay to charge for uh, in those states. You just have to be careful that you're not charging some undue amount that might be considered uh, inappropriate profit sharing. Really great information. I think we're, we're definitely gonna have to dive into, I think a second episode where we kind of get more granular on specific states because we have so many people asking so many specific questions. I, I think um, one of the key takeaways for me is that I think depending on the type of company that you're contracting with, 
and you know disclosure obviously i'm the national sales director with with 2020 now and you know it's an ophthalmology pc therefore it provides some level of choice for the optical um you know retailers in different states if they're comfortable billing and they build before in a corporate practice of optometry state then they can contract with us to provide the service and they can get credentialed on plans and bill for them if they are in a state where they have never done that before because they were not allowed, they can if they want to, uh, depending on the state regulations, or uh, you know, they could also contract with us to sublease and bill for the exam. So there's just a lot of flexibility there by state. So do you have any recommendations? You know, perhaps people should reach out to you individually. I don't know if you're looking for more, more clients, or is there a resource that you would direct them to to really get granular state by state? Um, I think that there are specialists in every state that can help. Um, I think the key is really to have somebody that's familiar with both the uh, uh, optometry or the ophthalmology laws, depending on whether you're seeking to contract with one or the other. Uh, no, I am not personally looking for more clients at this point. Uh, plus, I think that if somebody were negotiating with your company, for example, I would have a conflict since I do provide consulting services to 2020 now. Um, but there are other attorneys uh, out there that, uh, and also there is a trade association of optical retailers that um, uh, I think might be able to help. I'm a, a consultant and member of the board of directors of the National Association of Optometrists and Opticians. So um, if people are interested in that, the, there is a website for that group and they can learn whether they have an interest in becoming a member in the NAOO to uh, potentially get some support and advice on those issues as well. Uh, I think the, uh, probably the thing to recall is that these state laws do vary significantly by state and that it's useful to, most of these companies would have a, either in-house counsel or local counsel that have provided them um, services before. So I think working with the attorneys that you might have worked with before would make sense. Many optical retailers are already very comfortable subleasing to optometrists. So if you're subleasing to optometrists, it's quite easy to sublease to uh, an ophthalmology or an optometry PC for the purposes of telemedicine. It's not different. Um, they're just not going to be in person. Um, but I think it's also important to remind people that if they're using a, a company that provides a full service comprehensive eye exam, they're gonna to need to have staff and equipment on site with the patient. This is not, we're not talking about doing a prescription renewal from home. We're talking about doing a full comprehensive eye exam with the patient in your optical store. And that means you'll need staff at that store to help with that process. And then you'll connect later with both uh, a technician that's remote and a doctor that's remote that can support that function. Really great insights, Wally. Really appreciate you your taking the time out of your day to kind of uh, dive into this topic. I think it's something that's been, you know, just largely misunderstood on social media. I see posts where people say, you know, you can't do that. That's illegal in my state. And I think one of the key takeaways is, uh, you know, you can't make broad stroke claims around this regarding, you know, even some states that you would think would be totally prohibitive actually do allow tele medicine or teleoptometry, but they're just, it may just be so restricted in how you can do it that people perceive it as illegal. Um, you know, so I just think it's really important to look into this 
um, at a very granular level, state by state, the, the key takeaway being in almost all the states, except for maybe a handful, teleoptometry is permissible in one way or another, or in you know, one shape or form. We, with that kind of, so that's kind of my key takeaway. And you really have to get, you have to ask specific questions about the state. How can we operate? What, what are our options? You know, how can we do it in order to really understand it and kind of make a, a claim? you have any kind of closing thoughts on, on that? Yes, let me, uh, let me make two points. Um, as people um, who operate optical retail stores are considering um, telemedicine or teleoptometry, I think that it's also important to check to see if the state has a minimum eye exam requirement. Um, that's another difference between uh, optometry and ophthalmology probably over 20 states have minimum eye exam requirements for optometrists and very few states, there might be one or two or three that um, would define for an ophthalmologist what has to go into um, an eye exam. Um, that's statutory or regulatory, but there's also consideration about, are you interested in getting um, managed vision care or healthcare reimbursement for your eye exam? If you as the provider want to get reimbursed by an insurance company, there are other requirements that are not legal, um, they're contractual. And so if you want to get paid by Medicare for doing a comprehensive eye exam, there's some very specific definitions of what that includes. Um, and uh, just as a reminder, you, it, that's not for a well eye exam. There has to be um, some medical reason for doing an eye exam to be reimbursable under Medicare. And Medicare also doesn't cover a refraction. That's an aside. But in those states that do have a minimum eye exam requirement, if you're using an optometrist, you need to make sure that that optometrist is doing that minimum eye exam. Even if you're using an ophthalmology group, if you want to get reimbursed by a managed vision care plan, there are often specific requirements as to what elements have to be done in the eye exam. So you need to make sure that that telemedicine provider can do those steps. Um, and finally, with respect to the minimum eye exam requirements, National Association of Vision Care Plan uh, is a trade association of, of vision care plans. It published a policy um, about what they believe should be included in a telemedicine eye exam to be reimbursable. So it's possible to go online and look at their policy and understand what a provider should be able to do um, with respect to um, telemedicine. One of the more important things is the ability to do retinal imaging. Since you're not doing an in-person dilated fundus exam, the vision care plans wanna make sure that the doctor's getting a good look at the uh, retina. Um, the other thing that's important with vision care plans and telemedicine is that there may be instances where in-person care is necessary for a particular patient. And the telemedicine provider has to be able to have an effective referral program um, and a, an effective follow-up care program. A lot of great points there. I mean, I know that we could spend hours because, you know, we already have discussing all these, all these micro topics, really particularly the managed vision care plan. And, you know, if an optical retailer wants to do a self-pay model, it really opens up the scope in a lot of different states in terms of what they can do. If they want to build managed vision care plans, you know, again, you have to get granular and specific plan by plan. And again, you know, so one resources are the companies, of course, that are operating that way. They're the ones who are going to have 
contracted with legal experts um, and, and kind of will be one path of, of information for people. So uh, just, just so many great points. While I definitely want to continue this conversation in the future, I think, and get kind of more granular on some of these topics, but really appreciate your time. I mean, a lot of great insights and look forward to chatting with you again, for sure. Well, good. I hope it was helpful. And as other topics come up or as uh, you have uh, people following up with questions after seeing this, let's talk again. Thank you, Raleigh. You take care.